Psalm 19. For the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By then your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can dis discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it be pleasing in the Lord's sight. The first challenge to the authority of God's word came in the garden when, the, when that serpent of old spoke to Eve saying, Did God really say? And ever since that day, the attack on God's word has never ceased. During the Reformation, when Martin Luther spoke about the authority of the Bible, he used this Latin phrase, norma normens non normata. It means the norm of norms that cannot be normed. In other words, Scripture holds an authority unlike any other authority. It cannot be changed. It doesn't conform to the opinions of men. And whatever it speaks to, all other authorities must bend the knee. During Luther's day, this meant that the papal authority or the, or the words of the Pope must fall in line with the Bible and not the other way around. You see, the, the, the biggest issues within the church at that time were the false teachings of purgatory and the sale of indulgences. Purgatory was this heretical doctrine that said that, that, that there was a place of temporal punishment after death where the Christian will go to pay for their sins before they could enter heaven. And in an effort to, to, to gain wealth, the, the Pope declared that a person could purchase these indulgences or the merit of Christ, reducing the amount of time one would spend in purgatory. And this merit could be bought for oneself, or it could be bought for a deceased family member as well. Based 
initially through the through the words of the Pope came this false doctrine saying that people could buy the righteousness of God. <clears throat> Do you see the problem? This is an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it all began because people viewed the authority of the Pope to be on par with the authority of Scripture. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 state this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. These verses contradict the teaching of the purgatory and indulgences. Because the church during the time of Martin Luther didn't hold to this idea of norma normens non normata or sola scriptura, that scripture alone is the highest source of authority, because they had left that teaching behind, they got the gospel wrong. This lesson from history demonstrates the danger of deviating from the, from the authority of God's Word. And we face the same danger today. Even though we are congregationalists and from a Protestant tradition that believes in Sola Scriptura, there are competing authorities out there that desire our allegiance. For instance, there's the culture of our day. Uh, the, the culture of today wants, wants you to set aside the, the, the Word of God whenever it disagrees with, the, with what they consider to be right. One of the latest ways we see this being played out is in this notion that, that you can decide your own gender. That you can just ignore your own biology, the, the, the way that God made you, and declare yourself to be of the opposite sex. Scripture would just plain out disagree with that. Genesis 1 verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Of course this notion of transgenderism, it comes from something deeper. It comes from postmodern thought, which is another authority that, that wants you to deny God's word. Postmodernism is, is a belief that contradicting ideas can, can both be true because it all depends on one's cultural context. So for example, one man uh, can believe that having sex outside of marriage is perfectly okay because that's what his culture dictates. And then for another man, he, he wants to remain faithful to his wife because that's what his culture demands of him. What postmodernism says is that, that the one can't judge the other because both are equally true. Again, this is an effort to undermine the Word of God and what He says to be true. And there are, there are tons of authorities out there that, 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 that fight for your allegiance. <coughs> authorities such as the political parties in our country, the Republicans, the, the, the Democrats, the, uh, the media that, that, that we watch day in and day out, CNN, Fox News. They, they want you to conform to their ideologies, their view of the world around you. 
They want, you to, they want to take you away from the source of God's wisdom and follow the wisdom of men. Today, I, I want us to look at this idea of, of what Martin Luther said, norma nor mens non normata, and why it is still important. And in doing this, we're, we're going to try to answer three different questions. One, why is Scripture authoritative? Two, what does it mean for Scripture to be authoritative? And three, what does this authoritative word actually do? Let's tackle this first question. Why is Scripture authoritative? Well, the answer is very simple. Because it is the very word of God. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says this. All Scripture is god breathed. What Paul is saying here is that every word that we find in our Bibles had its origin in the mouth, from the mouth of God. He is the one who breathed it out. We see this same thing spelled out for us in 2 Peter 1, verses 19 through 21. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What this is saying is that the, the source of the words in this book is from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. And if the creator of all that exists has something to say, then by definition it must be of the highest authority. Why is scripture authoritative? Because it is the very word of God himself. Second question, what does it mean for Scripture to be authoritative? Well, it means a few different things, actually. But first, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that it speaks to every truth that is out there. The Bible won't tell you the next winner of the Super Bowl. It won't, it won't teach you about the inner workings in the circuitry of your smartphone. It won't give you instruction on, on the tonal rules of the, of the Chinese language. And it also won't tell you everything there is to know about God. There are some things that God has chosen to be left a mystery. But if that is the case, if, if the Bible doesn't speak to every matter in life, then what does it mean when we say that God's word is authoritative? That it is norma normens, non normata. It simply means this, that it stands above all other authorities concerning the matters that it does speak to. Now, for the Bible to be authoritative in this sense that we are using this word, it means that there will be some distinctives or characteristics that describe God's words. And the first is that the Bible is perfect. It is without error. It cannot be corrected. Norma normens, non normata. 
By definition, something can't have ultimate authority and have flaws at the same time. Psalm 18, verse 30 says this, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. When God spoke through the prophets, when He spoke, spoke through His apostles, He said nothing but the truth. There are no mistakes. There are no contradictions. The history that is recorded in this book is perfectly accurate. Any prophecy concerning the future will be fulfilled. And when the Bible speaks to words of to matters of wisdom or morality, they are in, they are in agreement with God's own heart. In other words, God's word is perfect. But not only is it perfect, but it is also sufficient. This word sufficient means that it is enough to accomplish its goal. It is exactly what is needed. But if, but if the Bible is exactly what we need, then what do we need it for? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 again, this time in verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The first and the, and the main thing that the Bible is sufficient for is for making a person wise for salvation. It teaches you the gospel. This good news that, that even though you are a sinner and under the condemnation and the wrath of God, God has worked out a plan for your salvation. Jesus took upon flesh and became a man. He lived the righteous life that you could not. And then he died the death that you deserve when he was nailed to that cross. He then defeated death as he bodily rose on the third day. He then ascended into heaven where he now sits as king over all the earth. And he offers to you forgiveness for your sins and entrance into his kingdom if you will repent and trust in him. That is the message of the gospel, and God's word is sufficient for this message. But it does more than just that. Look at, look at verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God's word not only saves the sinner, but it exhorts the sinner in how he should live. It teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, and it trains in righteousness. Why? Look at the next verse, verse 17. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, God's word is sufficient for godly living. You don't need anything else. You don't need the philosophies of men. You don't need Dr. Phil or, or Oprah or any self-help book that they might be promoting on TV. 
You don't need all the advice that you will find on, on Twitter or Facebook. You don't even need that fresh word from the one who claims to be a prophet. All you need is, is to open up God's word and read. And then the Holy Spirit will transform you from within. <coughs> and this leads us into our last question. What does this authoritative word do? Let's look at Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8 to get our answer. First, verse 7a. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The first thing that we see is that God's word revives the soul. It brings life where there is no life. The, the, the person who is, who is discouraged can open up the Psalms and find a word of encouragement. The one who is grieving over the loss of a loved one can find hope when they read about the resurrection of their Lord. And the one who is, who is lost, the, the, that one who is without salvation, can find a true revival of their soul as they look to the cross of Christ. Let's look at our next verse, verse 7b. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The second thing that we see here is that it makes wise the simple. The person who is at a crossroads in life and, and doesn't know which way to turn. They can, they can open up the wisdom literature, books like Proverbs and Job, and find direction and guidance. And, the, and for those who, who take the time for devoted study, they will find that many of the decisions in their life will start getting easier and easier as the Holy Spirit begins to renew their thinking, giving them the mind of Christ. But God's Word does even more than that. Look at our next verse. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The third thing that we see that God's authoritative word does is it gives joy to the heart. Now this, this word joy is different than happiness. Happiness is always dependent upon a person's circumstances. Someone gives you a gift and you're happy. The University of Michigan destroys Notre Dame and your pastor is happy. <laughs> we'll see if that happiness remains the rest of the season. But, but joy is something completely different. Listen to what, what C.S. Lewis said about the topic of joy. All joy reminds. It is never a possession. Always a desire for something longer ago or further away, or still about to be. Joy is something greater than happiness because it looks to things greater than your circumstances. This is why the Apostle James could say this in his epistle. Look at James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James looked beyond a person's, a person's circumstances, and, and what he looked to was the fruit 
that these trials would bring about. And that should bring forth joy in a person's life. And isn't this exactly what Scripture does? It, it, it points you to the past. It points you to the future, showing you the promises of God, offering you joy, no matter how hard your life may get. And finally, our, our last phrase from this psalm, look, look, look at verse 8b. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. <clears throat> The last thing that this authoritative word does is it gives light to the eyes. This verse reminds me of another psalm, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word directs us. It guides us. It shines a light in the darkness. It helps the blind to see. The bottom line is this. Without scripture, without this norma normens, non normata, we would all be lost. We would all be sheep without a shepherd. We would all be in a dark cave without a torch or a flashlight to, to, to guide us out. Without God's word, we would remain condemned because we would have nothing to point us to Jesus Christ, the only one who can save. Instead of being alive in Him, we would still be dead in our sins and under the judgment of God Almighty. So praise God that He has revealed Himself to us in His authoritative Word, in this norma normens, non normata. Is Sola Scriptura, the, the authority of God's Word, still important today? Absolutely. Because without it, there is no salvation. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for your Word and how, how it does speak into our lives. How it points us to your Son and the, and the salvation that He brings. May you guide us to stay by your Holy Spirit as we, as we study your word. May it truly be a light unto our paths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.